Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8 as we return to Romans today. I've looked forward to that. We had Easter and did a special series at Easter, and then we decided to do a special series on, uh, on God's original intent for the church for a short period of time in Ephesians chapter 4, a mini-series as it was. And now we're back into our series in Romans and looking at this great statement of the, of the, of the Christian faith and the gospel I'm going to repeat verses 1 through 4 again today. We looked at those before Easter, but, and I know you remember everything that uh, Pastor Todd and I both said in those messages on 1 through 4, but just to remind you a little bit and help you remember, I want to look at those four again because they are so vitally important. Chapter 8 is really a, a pivoting point in the book of, of Romans. It's a pivot to, to great and glorious truth for those who are in Christ Jesus, it's a, it's a pivotal point that moves us on into what it means to walk and live the Christian life under the power of God. And everything up to that is built to this point. And we'll see that as we get into this just a little bit. But hear the word of the Lord as I read from Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In verse 1, there are four key words that I want us to look at again this morning and think about. Uh, Four key words in that very first part of this chapter. The first one of those is that word condemnation. Condemnation. We talked about it weeks ago and what condemnation meant, but it means being guilty. It means standing under a curse. It means under condemnation because of a crime or a sin. If you're looking at it in the legal sense, it's in condemnation under a crime. If you look at it in the spiritual sense, it's condemnation under sin because of the sin that has been committed and is, is dwelling within us. There is condemnation uh, apart from Christ Jesus. Now, most of us in this room this morning probably have never known what it means to be condemned in a legal sense. Some of us may have. Uh, You may have been in a court of law and the judge has declared you guilty or a jury has found you guilty and you served your time and now you're out and you're here with us and you're you're praising the Lord, you're rejoicing the Lord, and that's good. But most of us cannot understand the depth and the gravity of that idea of being condemned, of being declared guilty. It's it's a tremendously hard uh, word to deal with if you're under that situation. Paul says, I want you to understand that every single person on the face of the earth has lived under condemnation because of their sin. Paul spent the first part of this book, verses one, uh, chapter one, eight, uh, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, talking about what condemnation is. And perhaps that section, 118 to, two, uh, to 320, is maybe one of the darkest sections in all the Bible. 
Because Paul does not paint a pretty picture. He paints a very difficult situation where man in his sin and woman in her sin are under this, this heavy, heavy condemnation of God. The wrath of God, he said, is being poured out on all unrighteousness and all ungodliness that, that's in this world. God cannot tolerate it. God will not tolerate it. God will not stand for it is basically what he's saying. And if you're under that condemnation, Paul talked about later you being an Adam. You're in your natural father, Adam, and, and you're living in that, and, and that's where you're experiencing, and you have all the same desires that Adam had when he sinned, when he fell in the Garden of Eden. And, and so in, in that first section in, in this book of Romans, Paul says, I want you to understand the importance and the seriousness of being under condemnation. Then he spends the section from chapter 3, uh, uh, verse 20, right up through chapter 7 of saying, but here is what Christ has done. He paints this beautiful picture of justification. He says, you have been justified by faith in Christ alone, if indeed you have believed. If you, are, if you are in the faith, if you have trusted Christ with all your heart and all your life, if you have, have, in essence, surrendered yourself to Him by the power of His Holy Spirit and the grace of God in your life, then I want you to know you stand not under condemnation, but under justification. In other words, there's been a not guilty declaration made. Not because you're truly not guilty. Not because you really never did sin. But because Christ has substituted for you. And God has taken His righteous substitution and His righteous sacrifice and by His Holy Spirit has applied that to your life. We're going to see the Trinity in this in just a minute more clearly is what Paul says. But he says that has been applied to your life and you have been declared not guilty. You have been imputed, added to your account, the righteousness of Christ Himself. And so we who know no righteousness now become the very righteousness of God because He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Now, now folks, you, you got to get your head around that just a little bit because that is the great gift of grace. That is the great gift of God that He gives us in Christ Jesus. And then He comes to this verse, opening up this new section, and He says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the implication is that He's implying back to what He's already talked about is that if you're not in Christ Jesus, there is condemnation. I think it was Spurgeon who said, well, it doesn't matter who said it, Spurgeon would like to have said it if he didn't, but I think it was Spurgeon who said, you know, you don't really appreciate the good news until you know the bad news. You don't really appreciate all that God has done in Christ Jesus in coming into the world and dying on the cross. You don't really understand the beauty of justification and the beauty of the cross and the beauty of the new life in Christ. You don't really understand that until you fully appreciate and fully understand the bad news. And the bad news is that outside of Christ, you stand condemned, pure and simple. And we scratch our heads at that somewhat in our secular age today, and we say, but, but how can that be? We're really not all that bad of people. We do good things, we try hard, and we try harder and harder, and, and, and the more we try and the harder we try, doesn't God somehow account that for us to good, for good? And the Scripture says, no, He doesn't. That your goodness, your trying, your, your trying to live up to the law, or whatever you call your standard, will never be enough will never be enough 
The only thing that meets the standard is Christ Jesus, and that's what he's going to tell us in a minute. So the first word we have to understand is condemnation. You were under condemnation, but now in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the second word there is now. Now is a time word. It, it relates to, to the circumstances of, of time. And, and Paul is saying here, understand this very clearly, if you will, that you once were in that situation, but this is pointing to a change that has come as a result of you as a believer entering into Christ. Someone asked me a few weeks ago, said, what is the, what is the word that you would say most clarifies the importance uh, to understand for the importance of the Christian life? And I said, it's the word in. But now you are in Christ. And, and the question is, if you are in Christ, then there is no condemnation. You've moved out of darkness into light. You moved out of death into life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whereas we were under the wages of sin, which is death, we are now given life in Christ. So Paul says, condemnation is no longer yours if you are in Christ, because now you have entered into that. Then there's the word no. No condemnation. No is such a simple word in the English language, but no is really almost too weak a term to use here. When Paul says, therefore now, no condemnation. In, in the Greek text, it's, it's a strongly emphasized compound word that expresses that. It's not just a simple negative, but it's compounded in order to say, listen, this is about as intense as you can think about it. There will never be, cannot be, will not be any condemnation for the one who is in Christ Jesus. That is the promise that not only do you stand saved today if you are in Christ, but that that will never change. Not because of you, but because of Him. That, that idea of no, never, not ever any condemnation carries with it the idea of eternity. Carries with it the idea of certainty. Not, not only is a Christian not in a state of condemnation now, he never can be, he, it is an impossibility for him to be. Because of the work of Christ. And folks, again, that's something we need to get our heads around, get our, get our hearts around to understand the reality. And then there's that word that started the whole thing. You notice, I hope I went backwards pretty much in this. But there's the word therefore. Therefore, now, no condemnation. The old Paul Burleson, my pastor in seminary, used to say, anytime you see the therefore, a therefore in Scripture, you need to ask the question, what is it there for? Why is therefore there? And of course, what Paul is doing here is by saying, therefore, based on everything I've said from chapter 1 through chapter 7, everything about condemnation, everything about justification, everything about struggling even in the Christian life in chapter 7, and the frustration that we sometimes have in our life as we find ourselves doing the things we know we shouldn't do and not doing the things we know we, that we should do, Paul says, therefore, on the basis of all of that, I want you to understand the certainty and the security that you have in Christ Jesus. Because you'll never be able to enjoy the Christian life. You'll never be able to enjoy the walk with Christ. You'll never have real joy until you recognize that therefore things were bad, He did His work, and now you are alive in Christ. You'll never understand that. 
You'll never have the joy until you understand that in its completeness. Therefore, now, no condemnation. So four words that start off these four verses that we're looking at that are so vitally important to grasp in our understanding of what Paul is wanting us to see in this chapter. But then he goes on and he says, not only is there no condemnation, but I want you to understand, this is God's work, it's not our work. He makes it very clear that we could have tried and strained all we wanted to, but we could never have accomplished it. Look at verse 2. For, for, what, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You ever thought about why did he say the law of spirit, of the spirit, and of life, the spirit of life? Why didn't he just say, and the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from sin and death? This idea of law is something he's carried through this whole book so far in contrasting, you know, the legal standards that, that men try to under, uh, undertake and try to keep up with in order to be right with God and understanding that there is a law of spirit in life. There is a law of the spirit. And that is what we abide by in Christ Jesus. It's not just some nebulous idea of, okay, now we feel better because we are in Christ. It's because of the work that he has done. Verse 3, this is important. For God has done what the law Weakened by the flesh, could not do. There's the work. There's who does the work. For God has done. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For God has made you alive in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say God has observed while you brought life to yourself through Christ Jesus. But God has given you life through Christ Jesus. Here he says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. It's God's work and not our work. It's, it's His moving within us, His changing us, His doing the shaping, His doing the calling, His doing the redeeming. It's God doing that in us and through us. It's something that you cannot miss, folks. It's the great but God of Ephesians chapter 2. We were lost. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. But God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive together in Christ Jesus. That, that but God is all the way through the New Testament when it says you tried, you struggled, you wanted to, but you couldn't do it. But God did it in your place for you by His Spirit, by His strength. By His great gift. We read that statement in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, will not perish, will never ever perish, but will have eternal life. That's a great truth, folks. That is the truth of the gospel. And that's what Paul is communicating here. That's what Paul is saying. It's so important to understand that for God so loved the world, He sent His Son to do that work of redemption. And Paul says here, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Now, he spent a lot of time in chapter 7 saying the law is good. 
He asked the question, am I saying the law is evil or the law is bad or the law is, is not good? And he says, no, the law is good. Listen, when you have the law, the Ten Commandments of God, the, the original law and the ten tablets that were given to Moses, when you have that law, you shall, not, you shall not have any other gods before you. You shall not take the Lord God's name in vain. You shall not have idols. And right on down to the, to the horizontal ones, how, thou shalt not steal, not murder, not commit adultery, etc., etc. When you look at all those in, in, in context, you realize that law is really good because that law is nothing more than a reflection of the character of God, the perfections of God. Uh, tomorrow night in the, in the Sacred Winds, concert we're going to be talking about and i'll be interpreting a little bit in that about the the good the true and the beautiful that's the theme the transcendentals the good the true and the beautiful are all things that we all pursue we all want and we all see them somewhat in subjective manner many ways in this life but those are objective truths because those transcendentals the good the true and the beautiful reflect the character of god just like the ten commandments do so paul says i want you to understand the law is good the law is powerful. The law expresses the truth of the character of God. But it was weakened, not by the law itself. It was not weak. It was weakened by the flesh. Remember when Jesus went back to his disciples and he left them to pray? And they, they said, we're going to stand with you, we're going to go with you. Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I'll be with you. He went back and found them sleeping, he woke them up, and they kind of aroused a little bit, and, and Jesus said, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And, and the truth of the matter is, we have all sorts of great aspirations, but our flesh is weak, and our flesh has weakened the ability of the law to do the work of God in our life. We cannot keep the law. So the law now, not as Paul said in the earlier part of Romans, the law now doesn't take us to God, the law shows us we can't get to Him in our own strength. So if the law could not do, weakened by the flesh, God has done. God has done. So it's His work. It's not our work. And then you see the Trinitarian nature of this work. I love how Paul weaves the Trinity throughout all this book, but in, in chapter 8, as we said it earlier on, weeks ago, this book has more references to the Holy Spirit than any other chapter in all the New Testament. It's just filled with talking about the Spirit's work in your life and my life. But Paul goes on and says, what God is, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And He did this by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. didn't send Him in sinful flesh. One of the great controversies of church history is that was Jesus a, a man with sinful flesh, separated from his divine nature? Was there two, two natures there, or was there a union of, of two natures? How did that all work out? He didn't come in sinful flesh. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, just like we are, flesh and blood, but yet without sin. He could, and through that, by sending his Son... He, that is God the Father, condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
Paul says, don't miss this great truth, the gospel message. Don't miss this Trinitarian involvement. We serve a Trinitarian God. One God, three persons. We serve a Father who loved us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, into the world. He sent His Son, Jesus, in the world with a purpose and a mission. He didn't come so we'd have neat little Bible stories. He didn't come so we'd have neat little miracle stories. He didn't come so that His teachings and, and could be kind of pithy statements on, on wall plaques and on bumper stickers. No, He came with a very specific mission. Now, the miracles and the teachings all pointed to that. But his mission was to go to that cross. Because it was only in the cross for the Son that sin could be condemned by the Father. That, that condemn, he could condemn sin in flesh, in him dying in our place and thus fulfilling the righteous commandment of the law. You see, the law says sin must be punished by death. No other way. The law says sin is, has death within itself. But when Christ came, when Christ went to the cross, He bore the sins of His people upon that cross. He bore the sins of His people that they might live. And in that, God condemned sin in your life if you're a believer. He condemned sin in your life if you are in Christ. He condemns sin in your life, and that sin is dealt with as only that sacrifice could if you are in Christ. It's the Trinitarian work. It's a final work. It's a glorious work. It's a work whereby there is no condemnation. It's a powerful work that can only come from Him. You don't have the power to do it. I don't have the power to do it. You don't have the resolve to do it. You don't have the will to do it. You don't have the strength to do it. But His strength and His power is not only able and sufficient, His strength and power does it through the cross. Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there it is. It's, it's clear. In Christ Jesus, no condemnation. Not in Christ Jesus, condemnation. That's why I asked the question with the sermon title this morning. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Do you stand under condemnation or do you stand under grace and therefore standing in no condemnation? James Boyce once told a story about a, an Irish folk song. Which it's called The Wild Rover. Maybe you've heard it. I, I don't really know it, but it, it makes sense. And it's, it tells of a young man in his restless and rebellious days running all over and just living a riotous life, and yet one day coming home. And it ends with this chorus. 
No, nay, never, no, nay, never, no more will I play the wild rover. No, never, no more. I can hear that Irish beat to that, or Irish whatever with that. And the answer that Jesus gives, and the answer that Paul gives in this passage is no, nay, never, no more will you be under condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about how this shows us the essence of holiness. The essence of holiness in the Christian's life. But Paul makes clear that there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus because of the Father's work, because of the Son's work, and because of the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, He sent His Son, and now we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, His Spirit, who indwells us and fills us, convicts us, changes us into the likeness of Christ Jesus. It's all because of His grace. It's all because of His mercy. It's all because of what He has done in our lives. Praise Him. Thank Him. The song we're going to sing in just a minute, A Debtor to Mercy Alone, is such a glorious song expressing what Paul is talking about in this passage. We are a debtor to His mercy. We're not a debtor to the law. We're not a debtor to other people in the sense of they saved us. Because they never could. We're a debtor to His mercy. God's mercy, God's grace, and that alone. Let's pray together.